it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. And that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer. I'm Bruce News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and thanks to Cryer Malt, this is Beer is a Conversation, our weekly sit-down with the people shaping the beer industry, and through these conversations, we dig a little deeper into the stories behind the business of beer and brewing. The Australian brewing landscape is evolving rapidly, and here we try and make sense of what is happening and better understand the issues shaping the industry. And this week, something a little different as we not only step away from the current COVID-19 situation for some regular programming, but we also have Brews News Senior Journalist Claire Burnett taking the microphone and visiting her local brew pub, Brendale Brewing, to chat with owner Ryan McCausland. The interesting thing about this conversation, apart from it's the first that Claire has filed for us, is that Brendale Brewing is barely on Brisbane's craft beer radar, despite a quietly growing reputation for its beers and a growing number of gold medals at significant beer competitions. Claire speaks to Ryan about why this is, as well as his unconventional entry to the craft beer world, and much, much more. I hope you enjoy listening to a voice other than mine as much as I did, and especially enjoy Claire's conversation with Brendale Brewing's Ryan McCausland. I'm here with Ryan McCausland, founder of Brendale Brewing, along with his wife, lovely wife, I'm sure. Um, it's a little brewery in the northern suburbs of Brisbane, um, winner of a number of awards, uh, and also my local. So, hi, Ryan. Hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for being on the Bears of Conversation podcast and for having me. Um, so, Brendale's a bit of a sneaky gem. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's um, on a bit of an industrial state. There's a Bunnings down the road. My, also my local. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know a lot about you guys. So I mean, do you want to tell me how you started out in the industry and, you know, what got you into brewing? Sure. Um, so the brewery started out actually as a, a brew by you sort of brew on premises um, place in the early 2000s. Uh, I bought it about five and a half years ago now. Uh, when it was still operating just as a brew on premises type place for to supply bulk beer to, to home brewers and that type of thing typically um, after a couple of years of sort of getting our head around operating that business we decided to, to sort of open the tap room to, to add a different string to the bow um, and it sort of took off from there um, so we were a lot busier than we expected to be with that side of it um, and just had to keep on expanding our seating areas and, and doing a bit different more days and, and lots of things like that so it was a bit of a, a shock to how it was all going uh, which then led to us doing a big equipment upgrade in uh, mid-2018. Uh, so we went from the old brewing premises kit through to a, a sort of big uh, all-grain kit um, doing 1,500 litres at a time. So oh, step fantastic. Up. And how did you find that transition? Because obviously it's a major thing bringing that hospitality aspect into it. It was difficult. <laughs> it was really was. like Coming from like not a hospitality background and, and not... Um, 
manufacturing background, it was it was challenging. Um, but I, when we did the sort of big changeover from it to the new system, I brought a, a pretty experienced brewer on board as well to help out uh, with that. Uh, and we've been lucky that we've grown with some of our other staff along the way and they've taken on more roles as we've gone through it. And it's just been a lot of hours and a lot of trial and error along the way. Oh, yeah, that's how it's done, isn't it? That's it. And how has it been bringing on more staff as well? Because I always find that's a, lot, a hard thing for a, a bit of a sole trader or a guy that's just been doing it on his own. Yeah, his it was really challenging it was a uh, weird to get started um i was sort of by myself and then uh, my wife helping out a bit for the first two years um then when we had the tap room open we brought on sort of a full-time assistant and bartender um who then has stayed on with us and moved on from the the brewing side of it just into the the as to our taproom manager um she's on maternity leave at the moment so we've got someone else there at the moment as well but then um yeah adding the full full-time brewer came on board then we had multiple different casual bar staff uh and then late 2018 i think it was we added a a full-time assistant brewer as well so um yeah it's it's comes with just the challenges of a growing business having more staff on and and sort of having to go through and and work out your policies and procedures and all your eyes cross all your t's for the gut with the government um so yeah it's it's been a learning curve so yeah yeah. that's it and i mean we were talking just before we went on air about um how it was with the council and all that kind of stuff because you know that can be a difficult one especially in terms of planning but because they had the president it was a bit easier for you uh, because it was already an operating business, then we didn't have to go through that sort of planning process um, to get started, um, which is a massive sort of win because uh, there's a lot of breweries in planning that have been delayed quite a long time um, with the various councils. Um, and uh, just as an overall, the, the, the main structure of our cold rooms and everything was already here, so we didn't have to go through that build process. And when, even when we were doing a, a large upgrade, we were able to trade through that period, so we weren't without income um, over that time. Um, I take my hat off to the guys that are out there building one from the ground up and having to sign a lease and still wait another six months before they can start making any beer. Um, it must be a huge sort of financial strain, and, and yeah, hats off to them for the bravery to do it as well. So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, what were you actually doing before this? Like, what did you do after school? What were you? Uh, so I done a few different things. Um, I went to university and got a degree in property economics. So um, I was a a commercial property valuer for a while. Uh, Oh, the beard, everyone. He's got a big beard and it belies that. (laughs) Um, And then I worked for a superannuation fund manager doing different big real estate transactions before this. So very different sort of background. Yeah. Why on earth did you decide to make the leap and... Uh, I wanted to do something different. Uh, We'd been looking at different businesses for for quite a while and this one happened to come up and I liked the industry. I wasn't, to be honest, an enormous beer drinker before I started in the industry. So, What what was your tipple? What was your poison? Uh, It really wasn't wasn't really anything for me. (laughs) I hated it. And it was because I'd only ever tried like commercial crappy beers. Mm. So um, once I sort of got started in the industry and got a bit more of an experience with different beers and what they can be than uh, I enjoy things a lot more, a lot more of them now um, still don't can barely touch any of the, the mainstream things because it's just there it just is there's no flavor there for me or it's just a, a not a flavor profile that I enjoy so. what do you think about all the the upcoming trends your milkshake IPAs and all that kind of stuff then coming from a background where 
you kind of avoided beer to it's start with because of it being mainstream. Has it gone too far the other way? Well, I suppose it's not just that it's mainstream. It's just that the flavour profiles, just beer tasted like shit. The beers that I'd had before were just, just tasted bad. So um, I think that there's some trends that have probably gone too far. And personally, I'm not a big fan of lactose um, in beer. It just doesn't really do it for me typically. But I can see how it works with a lot of different recipes. So it's cool to see people sort of pushing the boundaries about what beer is and, and what goes into it. So I mean, we just made a beer recently with spotted gum shavings in it um, as a collaboration with Fritz and Burger. Uh, they'll be released soon. But um, yeah, so we do some weird things as well but um yeah it's it's i suppose not going to be for everyone but there's always going to be a place somewhere for most things yeah absolutely and i think that you just raised a good point about um the use of like australian and local ingredients and like brewers kind of keep it local and stuff so what do you think about that aspect of the industry and do you think that's something that we should be doing more of yeah for sure i mean that that particular beer is actually an all australian one so we used all australian malt all hops and also a locally sort of made yeast as well um so we tried to keep that 100 percent australian um but I, and I think the majority of well, we we use the majority um, Australian grown malt, um, and a lot of our hops are Australian. But we do use American hops as well. Obviously, um, there's a bigger range that we can get access to. Uh, I think that there's a place for for everything. Like there's obviously some brewers around that really focus a lot on keeping it all local and using all local ingredients. Um, I think that probably a bit restrictive just doing that so that's why we tend to, to try and use the majority of the the local ingredients but for stuff that we just can't get a local equivalent of it there's nothing wrong with sort of bringing it in from overseas yeah. so. and i mean like we were, as we were talking about before you mentioned that you feel like a, not necessarily an outsider but you're not like knee deep in the brisbane or australian brewing scene yeah it's one of, it's one of those ones when i when we started the brewery out here because i suppose the, the brew on premises um kind of thing had a bit of a, a stigma about it because it wasn't all grain brewing it was extract brewing i've very much felt on the outer for from different breweries around the place because um, it's looked down on a fair bit um, as we've sort of progressed through the industry i think we've gained a bit more respect um, with the quality of beer that we're putting out there these days so i think i feel a bit more connected to some of it but at the start there like it, it was quite intimidating all the different brewers seem to know each other and and get along and that type of thing and for someone that hadn't come through like working for any other breweries before having our own place it was um it was quite hard to to sort of get to involve with the industry um because i just didn't know them yeah yeah that's fair and but would you say you're cool now like yeah yeah no i've got lots of friends within the the brewing industry now and it's 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 a it's a um good little community is obviously um different people you get along better with than others in the industry but it's a, as a general it's an inclusive sort of helpful community we all try and help each other out with ingredients or advice and that type of thing um, if needs be around the place it's awesome. for sure nice one um and i mean the brewing scene in brisbane itself is seems to have grown up quite considerably in the yeah. past couple of years have you noticed that it's as well? amazing um like we've mean? been here for five and a half years um and looking back at even like the Bruce Vegas maps and that type of thing from that type of time ago when, when I was looking at it and, and having a look at the amount of breweries out there now and the quality of beer that's being produced is, is just outstanding. Amazing. And are you kind of undersold uh, how good your beers are at the minute? Uh, do you want to tell us about all your awards? Uh, so picked up a few awards in the Raw <laughs> Queensland Food and Wine Show last year. Um, what were they? It was a gold for the general industry IPA. Um, couple of silvers 
and bronze from memory. My memory's terrible with this type of thing. Um, and then we got a silver and a bronze in the AIBAs last year nice. as well. Yeah, so. and what, what did that that mean? Was it cool? Or was it, oh, it, was like a, it was a nice recognition that we're, we're of the beers that we're producing and the quality that, that, that we're doing. Um, we were all confident, but it's always nice to have some external recognition and, and judged by some really um, good peers. So um, we're looking forward. We've just submitted today the beers for the Royal Queensland Food and Wine Show this year. So we're really excited about some of the stuff that we put in there. So hoping for another really strong showing this year. Excellent. That's cool. And do you think it's worth then going for awards in general, not just specifically? It, it depends on the awards. Um, so there's a couple of different things. So your entry fees vary widely. So I think this one's only 80 or or $100 per entry. Um, and then you supply the product. We can deliver it ourselves easily. Um, whereas some of the other awards could be 200 or $250 per entry, plus then we have to get the beer to them. So if it's based in Sydney or Melbourne, we're having to ship kegs and bottles or cans down to them. Um, we tend to use our own kegs, um, so getting them back, we're having to pay the shipping back up for it. So um, I think it's definitely worthwhile um, to get a, a, an idea of where you are in comparison to some others um, when you're submitting it, but it's not something that we don't enter every competition and we don't submit every single beer that we do to it because it's um, it's a balancing act of what what's worthwhile to do and and um, and what you want to get out of it. Well, yeah, I guess it can be quite onerous for a small smaller brewery, someone who yeah, doesn't have sure. loads of spare cash and kind of needs that beer to sell it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, if you even we, I think we sent down four or five entries to ARBAs last year but there's a thousand dollars worth of entry fees easily plus the cost of getting it all down there uh, we were lucky enough that uh, it was organized for the remainder of the beers and the kegs to to be on sold to another venue so it sort of covered the cost of getting it down there oh, um, cool. which was good but um, yeah it, it's still a big outlay and um, yeah you you got to sell the beer as well so <laughs> yeah that's it so now come on tell me then have you got a favorite beer at the minute What's your favourite? Uh, well, my favourite overall style is probably the hazy IPAs. Yeah. So um, our industrial haze is sort of our core hazy IPA that we do all the time, which I just I, I really love the beer. Um, it evolves over time. We've changed it quite a bit since the first iteration, but um, it's I'm pretty proud of it that it's just a really consistently well-made uh, New England-style IPA. Um, we've got one in tank at the moment that's going to be released soon um that's made um sort of a collaboration in sorts of a, a brewery over in um america so we just sort of consulted with them on the on the oh, cool. on the brewing of it Who's that? um there's lead dog out yeah. of reno over there so oh, friends nice. with them over there so we sort of not an official collaboration but just sort of in a consultancy with them um trying a few different things um so really keen to see how that one comes out and it was actually made with um, desalinated water as part of oh, the, the beer awards yeah. as well. So, um, How have you found that? Like, how do you work the water profile with it? Well, we had a water report for it. Um, so we understood a bit more. We understand where the water profile is at. Um, we didn't do a huge amount of adjustments for it because we didn't really want to take out the point of having the desalinated water and make it well, the same. So um, it'll be... It's in keg at the moment, but it's having a bit of a rest before we, we taste, taste test it again. Um, but I'm pretty excited about how that one That's will, will really come cool. Out, so. Nice one. Hey, it's really cool that you've had a chat and got in touch with the American Brewers. How did you sort of get to talk uh, to them? Just through online forums and professional stuff like that. We did another collaboration. Actually, we did it, uh, it was late 
last year with a Canadian brewery called Block 3, um, where we actually teed it up so we were both brewing the exact same beer at the exact same time. Oh, so wow. we started about 6 in the morning and they started at 3 in the afternoon um, and went through it and had a video chat while we were doing it all and, and tried to do the as much the exact same beer as what we could in, in both continents. Yeah. So Oh, with um, the same ingredients yeah, and exactly all that. Right. So oh, we sent yeah. them over some Galaxy and that type of thing, so they used that in there. Um, and that was, um, and then we called it mate, which was a cl- like combination of mate and meh uh, or, or a um, from Canada. Um, so that was really fun, and it was awesome. good to have just a bit of a chat. But um, yeah, it's good to have, a, yeah, talking to them about different things they do better or differently over there and some of the different challenges that they face which can be the same and different to what we have over here oh really like have you got an example well excise is very different over in canada and and america to us so when i tell them how much tax we pay on each (laughs) keg of beer it sort of scares the crap out of them um so and but then then a lot of it's the same it's the same as running a, a brewery over there block three is probably not they do. They're a bit bigger than us in terms of production, but um, probably similar staff-wise. So, um, yeah, it's good to be able to talk to other people that are in the same type of shoes as you and in running businesses, um, which is good to have that bit of support, even if it is just online. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's really cool that you've sort of got involved with breweries across the world because obviously they're at different stages in their yeah. development and stuff, I guess, as well. Um, but do you think it's important that we sort of partner up and keep in contact with other brewers elsewhere? Oh, I think it's important to share knowledge uh, in any industry and they've obviously got a bit more of an established craft beer scene over in the other countries than we do over here. There's obviously some amazing knowledge over here as well. Um, and it just happens to be who you actually do have contacts with as to whether you can get that. So, um, But yeah, it's collaboration's amazing uh, in what it can sort of produce and, and sort of help to educate the industry more. Um, which is only a better thing. So the better the beer is as an overall quality, then the better it is for everyone. Um, the less sort of bad beers that we can have being put out, then yeah, it doesn't tarnish any anyone's reputation. Then so yeah, absolutely. Now I always hear that um, we follow like the US in terms of trends and stuff like that. What do you think of that statement? Yeah, typically we do. Yeah, we're always a bit behind them. So um, but why can't we be in front? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Uh, it's one of those ones. I'm sure we're in front in some aspects of it, um, but we try and tend to follow the states in all different aspects of life. So it's one of those unfortunate ones that <laughs> that there's a lot of them over there that have done a lot of experimental things and to see what sticks, and then it's a good indication of what might work over here. It'll be interesting to see whether the seltzer sort of uh, apocalypse um, yeah. will um, take over over here. We've been having a play with it. We've got a new one on tap at the moment. Um, just How do you make it? How do you make a seltzer? Uh, you just well, inject loads of booze into it? No, we're not allowed to over here. To, so oh, it's sort of... Okay. Over in the States, you can just add vodka to water and basically make it hard water. Um, doesn't really work with our taxes over here because we'd be paying the, the Alcopops sort of tax with uh, it over here. Yeah, uh, so our one we've done with more than 50% grain and then dextrose um, to top up the sugar levels from there. Mashed really low to, to improve fermentability um, and also a low-carb enzyme in there to dry it out so it finishes sort of well below zero um, gravity. Um, and then, yeah, different flavourings to, to bring the flavour back from there. And is but, that their, like, experimental stage? Yeah, that yeah. one's just in 50-litre pilot batches at the uh, moment. So, What have uh, you tried so far, mixing with it? Uh, well, we did the first batch was tangerine, um, 
key lime and blood orange, I think it was. And we threw away the blood orange because it was terrible. Oh, no. Why uh, did it just taste right? Oh, it just wasn't right. It just, yeah, it just wasn't wasn't the right flavour. So dumped that one. Um, but we did, did the key lime and the tangerine, which were both pretty well received. Um, and then this next batch we've done um, boysenberry, blueberry, and wild strawberry. So, oh, all right. Okay, um, maybe I'll give it a go then. So, why why did you want to do that? What did you just well, that see one's it as just a trend playing with different trends and yeah. just seeing what we can do and what we can do. Um, yeah, just expanding the range. Um, we don't do sours, um, so it's one of those ones. Obviously, sours are a really massive thing at the moment, particularly fruited sours over the summertime. They're really refreshing um, and clean. Um, so this. If it works, then it could be sort of our alternative to that. So rather than doing kettle sours and that type of thing, we can just do the seltzer instead. Yeah, uh, that's cool. And so what kind of market would you be looking at going to with that? Because I've heard it's like supposed to be the lady drink. Um, and well, I'm frowning as I say that. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it appeals to a different mode. It's not going to be a traditional craft beer drinker. Um, but it, it's also for us as a, a tap room, we're not allowed to sell other drinks and stuff here with our license so um we have a cider on tap um but we need to look and see if we can appeal to just a broader range of beer drinkers or any drinkers in general to have it there so if we can have another option there that um that might be similar to some not a cocktail but that fruitiness of that then then it gives us an advantage there that we can sort of please more people until we have some better sort of liquor licensing laws that are hopefully coming through, which will free it up a little bit. But um, until then, then hopefully um, we'll see how it goes. What do you think about them then? Because we've covered them a fair bit and the proposals obviously came out earlier this year. So Yeah, I think that the proposal for the craft beer liquor license for Queensland is really positive. Um, I'm not sure that everything that's included in there at the moment will get through uh, because of some other influences around the place. Um, but I think the, the main ones that will be beneficial to us should get through. Um, and that'll be a great thing to, to sort of help a lots of different breweries around the place to, to sort of function better. Tap rooms are the lifeblood of, of small breweries. It's where we get instant cash flow. We get the best margins that come through and we get to, to interact direct with our, directly with our customers. So um, anything that helps tap rooms work better, I think is going to be a positive overall for the industry. Yeah, absolutely. And we've noticed that as well. Like there's a lot of production breweries down in like Melbourne and Sydney that are now like, let's get a actual venue. Let's get yeah, a proper Yeah, obviously Hawkers is the, the, is the most recent one with their sort of um, equity capital um, no, sorry. Yeah, the, the yeah. Um, yeah, you know what it is. Yeah, I know, you know. what you mean. Um, <laughs> trying to do that. So um, that'll be great for them to get that up and running. They've obviously got a, a really good big business as it is at the moment, so that'll be a nice little extra on, on top of it for them. Um, but I think for a lot of small breweries, you've got to get the tap room working first, and that's what sort of helps you to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. And is equity crowdfunding something you'd ever consider? No, not really. Um no. It's a bit of an effort. Well, I think that there's been obviously some examples that haven't worked around the place. Um, and I think it's a, it's a risk um, to do it um, and unless you're in a position where you really need to do it or that's your sort of out plan um, out of it, then um, there's other sort of funding methods that can, that can work a bit better than doing that. So I'm not sure what Hawker's motivation is to do it. It could uh, just be testing the waters to see how it is. It's received, but um, then it's probably not something for us. Yeah, 
I mean, I think you need a massive fan base. And like I've, I've mentioned it before in like podcasts um, with the guys, like we've had it in the UK for a long while and there's a, it's been amazingly successful for some people and it's been an absolute train wreck for others. So. Obviously Brewdog being the biggest example of, course, of, of an yeah. amazing sort of um, platformer and the, the results they've, they've got. But um, some of the numbers you see with value multipliers and stuff that people are asking, it's crazy um, and it doesn't make sense. Um, so I, I think that if you've got a, a real business proposition um, and you've got a good following, it's going to work. Um, if you're just trying to do it to, to get on with the, the, the crowd that's doing it, um, then I don't think that people are that silly to sort of fall for that most of the time. No, so. exactly. I mean, it's people's hard-earned money, I suppose. Like. Yeah, and and if they're investing in your business, you're responsible, you're responsible for, for giving them a return on that investment. And, um, and yeah, it's, um, it's a big responsibility that I, I'm not sure everyone that goes into it's really thought through. Um, but, yeah, it's not for us. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. We'll keep an eye on it anyway for you. <laughs> cool. So, I mean, that's an interesting point. Um, being in Brendale, um, I know what it's like. It's very industrial here. It is. Uh, what's your clientele like? It's a big range. Yeah. Um, so it sort of changes throughout the afternoon, particularly on the Fridays. Uh, so we operate 2 to 10 um, Wednesday through Saturday and then 1 to 7 on the Sunday. But Friday's our business day. Um, so 2 o'clock till, say, four o'clock it's a lot of high vis workers that have just knocked off and come in um you'll notice that it starts to change a little bit sort of between four and six we might have a little bit of a lull people going home um and then you see the people that have been home and had a shower and got dressed up and come back out um for a night out um which ranges between yeah the young families to middle-aged people um even quite a few sort of of the youth sort of demographic coming through so it's, there's always a really really good mix here that's cool um, and it's one of the things that it's really enjoyable to operate the tap room because it's such a social sort of environment and we've when we've really worked really hard to foster a really family friendly environment that's social as well we don't have we've got one big tv up on the wall where we have sport playing but we don't have 10 million tvs where people are just sitting there watching that and not talking to each other um, there's board games and Jenga and all different bits and pieces on the tables. Darts, <laughs> Darts yes. <laughs> Pool table even and even foosball. Um, but everyone's doing something. There's not a lot of people just sitting on their phones. Um, and it, it just creates a nice atmosphere. Uh, we don't tend to have to deal with many issues within the tap room. There's always one or two every now and then. But um, in general, it's a really good clientele and yeah. we're really lucky to have it. And, and we sort of really um, respect the, the, our long-term regular customers because they've been the ones that have been there since the start for us and have helped us along the journey that we've come on. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. And, you know, that's, that's the interesting point you make as well, that the, the customers, the consumers that go for craft beer aren't yet, let's go out on a Friday night and get absolutely sloshed. Are they? That's that, not, that's generally. Part of, not generally. Not <laughs> generally. That, and that's part of the argument of the whole licensing thing, isn't it? Like um, David from Ballistic, um, I had a chat to him when that was all coming out, and he was like, "We shouldn't be treated like we we are an RTD or we're a pub in the valley or anything like that." Like, yeah, we're no, not it's like a very that. different sort of feel. Um, we get a lot of comments um, that it that ours in particular has the, the, the feel of an old school pub. Um, so back before they were taverns and pokies took over and it, it, they weren't really the most friendly places to be. Um, 
well, that they were more friendlier places. They're a bit more relaxed than, than they are these days with security everywhere. And, um, and it's just, it's one of those things you've got to foster that type of culture. And so there's not necessarily, some breweries might have the wrong type of culture there, but that's because they've, they've fostered the, the wrong type of thing by the way they advertise or what they're trying to do there. So I think that the majority of um, us as owners don't want to have to deal with, with issues in the tap room, so we purposely make them places that it's not welcome that there's violence or any antisocial type behaviour um, because that makes everyone's life easier overall. I don't want my staff to have to deal with it. I don't want to have to deal with it. Um, and if we can promote a, a better sort of culture um, within it then it's just going to be a, a better thing overall yeah absolutely uh and it is it's got a great vibe that's why i love it um uh, but anyway so i mean I'll, I'll let you go in a minute shortly i'm okay. gagging for a lager um but what's the plans for the future happy as you are um, get bigger distribute what's your fancy Distribution is going to be happening soon um, oh, cool. locally. Okay. So at the moment we take care of it ourselves, um, but we're in discussions with someone to sort of take that over for us at the moment because it's not what I'm good at. So I'm not a good salesperson. Um, <laughs> so it's one of those ones um, to, to balance um, with a young family as well. So I don't have time for everything and we don't really have an, the volume that's going to justify having uh, a full-time salesperson out on the road for us. Um, so yeah, we're, we're looking to partner with, with a local distributor who will take care of everything for us that way. Um, maybe a little bit of intrastate stuff will come out of that if we're producing a little bit more volume for that. Um, got another um, joint venture uh, brand that's coming along as well um, that will be at the start brewed here, but, um, but it's a joint venture between us and a, another good friend of mine that'll be coming out as well. So. But, uh, yeah, cool. it's still all in the works, so I won't oh, go tight too, too far it. into that one. Oh, right, okay, uh, but we're not looking... Brendale is, is not designed to be a huge brewery or, or looking to massive expansion. Uh, like, our motto is fresh local beer, so we, we, we want to keep it small and fresh and, and have it done here, uh, and that's what it's all about. So it's never really going to be travelling too far away from Brendale. Amazing. All right, well, thank you so much for having just being here, just existing. No really. worries at all. Thank you very much for coming no to have a chat. No worries at all. <laughs> And that was Claire Burnett with Ryan McCausland from Brendale Brewing. If you get the chance to visit, I highly recommend as being exactly the sort of small local brewery that gets us excited about the idea of keeping local alive. Radio Brews News is proudly presented by Cryomalt. With over 25 years in the field, Cryomalt are dedicated to providing the finest brewing ingredients to help brewers create the foundations of a truly excellent beer. Your premium brewing partner and proud sponsors of Beer is a Conversation. Don't forget, if you like what we do at Radio Brews News, you can help us out in a number of ways. You can sponsor the show, either by a small monthly contribution or through a one-off donation. You can find details in the show notes. You can review our podcast on iTunes or your favourite podcasting service. Let us know what you think and help others discover the show. 